0: And uh, so if you'd like to open up your Bibles at Galatians chapter 3
1: and uh, Benjamin is going to come and read to us from uh, Galatians 3 verse 19 onwards. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you. Um, If you're uh, in uh, the Bible that I'm holding, then uh, that'll be on page 824 and it's also on the uh, projection behind me. So we're going to be reading from... Galatians chapter 3, starting from verse 19 and going through to chapter 4, verse 11. Galatians chapter 3, from verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather, are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: We've got a full house today. Um, welcome, friends. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Peter and you can see I've got my name tag. <laughs> and this, this might actually become an application point in the sermon a little later, so. If you've understood the passage, uh, you, you might see where I'm going. Uh, let us come before our Lord in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Uh, Lord God, we give you thanks for your goodness to us in Christ. Uh, we thank you for this time that we share together now, when together we can read your word, think about it, uh, and put it into action in our lives, and we pray for your help to do that. But we just rejoice that we can be here together to... Uh, engage with your word and uh, we pray for these things in jesus name amen Amen. well if you've got your outline there in front of you you'll notice um i've got my introductory topic about an inferiority complex i don't know if you've ever felt inferior and hopefully you don't feel inferior today uh some of what I'm going to say takes a fair bit of the uh, part that says context there. So if you're taking notes, just, just wait till we get to point one and it'll go a bit quicker from there. Peer pressure can be a difficult force to stand up against, can't it? And if somebody does decide to take a stand, uh, there can be consequences for that in being rejected by a group. Sometimes people go to great lengths, don't they, to be accepted by a group. You hear about people committing awful crimes to be belong to some kind of street gang or some kind of uh, outlaw group. But at times even wearing uh, particular clothing can be a big part of belonging to a group. And a, And I must say, uh, as a teenager, I felt uh, there were times when I was tempted to believe that if I didn't wear what the cool kids were wearing, I wasn't going to be belonging. I was going to feel inferior uh, and excluded from that very important group, the cool group. Now, if you were a bloke back in my days, uh, the important thing to wear was King G shorts. Uh, That was all very fine, but uh, they didn't make them in a size small enough to fit me when I started high school, Uh, but that didn't matter that they didn't fit me, because I'd already buckled under the peer pressure, and I was going to be accepted by the cool group uh, whether my pants fitted me or not, and you must understand at this point that it wasn't cool to wear stubbies. Uh, We'd take the S out of the stubbies, and you were left with tubby, or chubbies. Stubbies weren't cool. So I went to school with uh, my enormous King G shorts with the tabs tied up till they couldn't be tied up any further so that my pants didn't fall down. And I tell you now, I could walk around school in those shorts without my legs even touching the material on the outside. (laughs) Uh, My my legs didn't get near to moving any of those bits of fabric. But there were some advantages, friends and that was that I could wear those shorts until I got to Year 10, so I saved <laughs> Mum and Dad on school uniform. Now, it can be difficult to stand up against peer pressure. Uh, actually, I think I ultimately got kicked out of the cool group anyway. Uh, that will be for another sermon. Um, but as we think about peer pressure and, and the pressure to conform, uh, we actually see some of that in God's word today. It's not going to be about Stubbies and King G's by the way Um, but the churches at Galatia uh, they were experiencing some peer pressure also. They were tempted to conform to a different gospel to the one that they would originally received. Uh, Some people were promoting the practice of the old covenant law of Moses and they were tempting the 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 Galatian Christians, the Gentile Christians to feel inferior, tempting them to feel inferior about their relationship with God and inferior about their relationship to other Christians, particularly Christian Jews. Apparently it wasn't cool to abstain from keeping the Old Covenant law of Moses according to the false teachers. That wasn't cool to abstain. But Paul wanted the church, the churches of Galatia and other churches, to stand on right principles, didn't he? And he wants us to stand on the right principles also. And so he wrote this letter to remind the churches of Galatia and us of the way of salvation, God's way of salvation in the new covenant and our genuine status as the true people of God. And by being uh, clear about our true identity together in Christ, we're better placed to stand up against any peer pressure that might want to lead us to being tempted to think that we're inferior Christians. Well, we now move to my little context section, so uh, if you've got your pens there, you can get ready to fill in that neat little section. Did you notice when we uh, read the passage, Paul starts out just talking about why then the law? It's sort of, it's kind of, it feels a little bit jarring just coming in at that point. So it's important for me to just work through a little recap of some of what Scott spoke about last week. Last week we saw in chapter 3, Paul's reminder to the Gentile Christians in Galatia that they'd already received the Holy Spirit by believing the gospel. That's how they... Got the Holy Spirit. It wasn't, it wasn't by observing the old covenant law of Moses that they somehow received the Holy Spirit. And it must have been very frustrating for Paul to see his churches starting out well, starting out on the right right track, but then being threatened by false teaching. And Paul wanted to know, wanted that church to know that they were, they were already on the right track. And they were in good company in receiving their salvation through faith for paul recalled that abraham also received his salvation that way too abraham was right with god through faith he believed in god and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness and god promised to abraham that all kinds of people all nations gentiles included would be blessed through his family And that meant that people like the Galatians and people like us would also enjoy God's blessing through Abraham's family. Paul reaffirms to the churches of Galatia the centrality of the work of Jesus in establishing these blessings from God and making them members of God's family. For Paul carefully explained that No one can presume to automatically be right with God. Uh, The Bible makes clear what we know in our own hearts, that we don't always love the Lord, we don't always give glory to God and give thanks to him. Instead, we fail. Uh, We fail to love God consistently with our hearts and we fail to treat him as God of our lives. Instead, we're inclined to go away and serve ourselves and serve, serve the desires of our hearts rather than always serving the Lord. Paul talks about how the law is written on our hearts. We know that we don't always love God as we should. No one truly keeps God's law. And so he explained and has explained last week that the consequences of that is not to receive God's blessing but instead to face his wrath, And this is the experience of being cursed by God. And yet there is good news. And it's good to get these points of good news. God in his kindness provides a key member of Abraham's family who would bring people and God together. And Jesus was that key member. In his faithfulness to God, Jesus bore God's curse in his death On the cross. And Paul described that work as redemption. This is a word from uh, the world of commerce and trade where someone might have been freed or loosed, delivered out of slavery by a payment. And uh, Jesus sets us free from being cursed by God. Jesus redeems us and provides a way for us and all kinds of people to be blessed by God. And the Galatians were on track by sticking with their faith in Jesus but, but they were confronted by some who were, who were insisting on the old covenant law as the way of salvation. And so Paul thought it important to teach the churches more about the right way to understand the place of God's old covenant law. And his first point is that The law of Moses comes a long time after the promises to Abraham and the law didn't change the way to receive God's promises. If you're picking it up, the the readings there, if you've got that Bible passage in front of you, in verse 17, he says, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later doesn't set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. It was important for Paul that the church understood something of the place of God's old covenant law in his plans. That the law was something that's been fulfilled by Jesus... And Paul anticipates that these uh, Gentile Christians are going to be curious about the time between Abraham and Jesus and why God even gave the law in the first place. And so Paul continues with this theme and point one in my sermon now is the law leads us to Christ. Verse 19 says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Skip down also to verse 22. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus, might be given to those who believe. The point here is that the law is temporary. One of the functions of the law was to name sin, to point out sin. It pointed out the holiness of God and God doesn't tolerate sin. We can't presume to be just in the presence of God. And so within the law, there was an old covenant sacrificial system for people to deal with their sin. The law named their sin and the law provided a way for them to deal with their sin so they could maintain their relationship with God. And that sacrificial system also helps us, doesn't it? It helps us to understand something about Jesus being our sacrifice, a sin-bearing sacrifice for us. But the repeated nature of these sacrifices within the law also pointed to the need for Jesus, the one perfect sacrifice. John talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the law shows us that we're, we're all falling short of loving the Lord and we're all in need of a sacrifice. In verse 24, Paul refers to the law as a type of uh, a guardian. He says in verse 24, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. Uh, One might say that uh, the law was a type of nanny or a type of babysitter uh, until the time of Christ. As we know, uh, as kids get older, they they don't need a babysitter anymore. But did you know that even within the law, there was uh, what might be described as built-in obsolescence? We're familiar with built-in obsolescence when you buy a pair of... uh, Joggers, they just wear out, don't they? They're designed to wear out. When you buy a washing machine, you get, if you're lucky, you get six years out of it. And uh, my coffee machine button doesn't work very well these days too. It's got built-in obsolescence. They design these things so that the thing will break at some lame point and I'll have to buy a new one. Well, the law had built-in obsolescence too. Um, Moses actually spoke about a time after Moses when the prophet would come and people would listen to him he says I will put my word in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him and so the law had even anticipated the end of the time of Moses and the time when the prophet would come the law looked forward to Jesus our prophet, priest and king he is our king And we're members of the new covenant that he's established in his blood. That's something we remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. The old covenant was established with the people of Israel. Those who were tormenting the Galatians with their supposed need for all kinds of works of old covenant law, in particular special days, circumcision, and laws associated with foods, those people whom Paul was correcting didn't seem to understand that the old covenant had been fulfilled by Jesus. And the false brothers were laying it on the conscience of Christians in Galatia to follow Jewish customs. That's what uh, Peter found himself caught up with in chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, By his actions, withdrawing from the Gentiles, by implication... Paul was saying, you're forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. And these people promoting this kind of practice seem to think that they could fit Jesus back into the old covenant, that the Gentiles needed to take on Jewish customs. And no, says Paul. Earlier we see that Paul grappled with this problem himself in chapter 2, verse 19. He says... You don't just fit Jesus back into the old covenant. He he says, "For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me." We don't fit Jesus back into the old covenant. Jesus is the Messiah in God's kingdom. We listen to Him. We're under His covenant, and Paul seemed to understand that at some point that through the law it led to jesus and it reminds us those those words that paul wrote of a chorus that we sometimes have sung as well it's no longer i that liveth but christ that liveth in me he lives he lives jesus is alive in me it's no longer i that liveth but christ lives in me we're members of the new covenant In application it's worth thinking about how life is different under the new covenant we don't offer animal sacrifices we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to the lord if we circumcise our children it's not for religious reasons but on the ground of other issues such as health If we're baptised, we're not baptised into Moses, we're baptised into Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the day that we normally meet on is not necessarily the Saturday, which was the traditional Jewish Sabbath, but our day, and there is liberty on the day that Christians meet and rest, is typically Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and this day is described in the New Testament as the Lord's Day. And this building is not a temple. This building, it's not that great anyway, it's 1960s or 70s architecture, Uh, this building is not the temple of God. Jesus is the temple of God. And since collectively we have been given the Holy Spirit, in parts of the New Testament where together collectively referred to as God's temple because God's spirit dwells within us but not the uh, bricks and mortar of this building. And as for the food laws, as members of the new covenant, I'm very pleased, I must say, to be a member of the new covenant because Christ has declared all foods clean. Now, if you count veggie patties as foods you're at liberty to eat them. It's open slather if you would like to eat veggie patties. I I think I might be allergic to them. (laughs) But uh, I am grateful for being a member of the New Covenant where I get to eat seafood and sweet and sour pork. But if you offer me veggie patties, please don't be offended if I refuse. Paul's going to have a great deal more to say as we get deeper into the book of Galatians about our freedom in Christ as members of the New Covenant. And so I'm not going to steal too much thunder there, and this sermon will already go long enough. Let's go to the second point now. Since we belong to Christ, we are God's family. I'll pick the reading up in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now these are some very encouraging verses, aren't they? The language here is about being children of God, about being legitimate members of of God's family and it's all linked to Jesus our Lord and Saviour faith in Jesus baptised into Christ belonging to Christ Jesus is the common thread in belonging to God and being legitimate members of his family it's certainly not about taking on the old covenant law and following Jewish customs ethnicity employment status and gender are distinctions that sometimes make uh, people make about themselves to define themselves but our identity is supremely found in Christ that's the message of the word of God who are we we are those who are in Christ we are the people of the Lord Jesus we're first and foremost those who belong to Jesus and because we belong to Jesus we are children of God legitimate members of his family and were heirs of the kingdom to come and these verses fulfill those promises to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you in chapter 4 verses 1 to 7 Paul reinforces the point that Jesus makes the difference at the right time God sends Jesus into the world to redeem his people and the fruit of trusting in Jesus is like moving from the status of a slave into the status of being a child within a family, with the privileges of being an heir, one who inherits the entire estate. And the remark there about calling upon God through the spirit, Abba Father, this terminology, Abba Father, it's not quite akin to when we say would have little kids say, Daddy, that's quite a nice touch. It shows the warmth there of that relationship. But even adults would call their father Abba, with a a warmth in that. It's probably more akin to someone saying Dad, rather than just Father, which is a little more distant. And that's the status of Christians. We can call God Dad, in that sense that we know him as our Heavenly Father. Now the churches of Galatia might have had a Gentile heritage, but since they had faith in Christ, that made... All the difference. They were now counted among the children of God and brothers and sisters within God's church. And the application point here is that we belong to God and we belong to each other. This message of God's word helps us to think about our identity, doesn't it? When asked who we are, we can respond in various ways, can't we? Hi, I'm Peter, I'm an Aussie. My dad knew your dad, I go for Sydney FC, I drive a Bromley Holden Zafira, and I have a reputation for breaking bones. My own bones, because I have osteoporosis. Whatever, else, whatever way we, we might like to think about defining ourselves, uh, when it comes to thinking about our identity, when it comes to thinking about who are we, God's word reminds us that first and foremost we are his children that's our status that should be very encouraging for each one of us that we are the children of God the legitimate children of God and we're brothers and sisters with each other here now at this point in the sermon this is a quite a salient point by the way because part of hearing a sermon it's not just an intellectual activity is it we're sitting here, we're looking at each other, we're thinking about the word of God together and there's a sense in which right at this moment we actually belong to each other. And the truth of what the spirit of God's saying to us today is whether you believe it or not that you belong to each other, whether you even know that you belong to each other, that's the truth, that's reality. If we belong to God, we also belong to each other. And it's also something that makes these little moments in a sermon a bit special, we realise at one level we're sitting here as the people of God and we belong to each other. Getting a bit excited here actually, heart rate's coming up. Now, in further application, we don't need to succumb to any peer pressure for others to think that we're inferior Christians for whatever reason, whatever yardstick they want to apply to us, to make us feel inadequate, to make us feel like second-class citizen Christians. I've, okay, let's just talk about the badges. <laughs> I'll take my, I gonna take my badge off. If you don't have a badge at this church... Let it go. Don't worry about it. It's not the key. I mean, it's nice to have a badge, and I like to not forget people's names and look goofy. It's much better when someone's got a name badge on, but it doesn't matter if you've got a name badge or not. That's not the, that's not the touchstone of being a child of God or belonging to each other. Now, I've been uh, looked down upon as a Christian because, I hate to say this, by the way, because the music at our church wasn't as upbeat as the music as some other churches. But you know what, I think the music's pretty good at our church, by the way. But that's still not the yardstick on which we're measured to be Christians or not. I've been considered a second-class citizen Christian because I haven't had ecstatic utterances as some have deemed necessary to be a legitimate member of God's family. Just because I haven't spoken in what they deem to be tongues and it may not even be what they're thinking it might be people's original languages but because i haven't had that i've been told that i haven't yet got the full blessings of god you know i'm, I'm just a i'm a brummy christian at that point because i don't have that gift that they had and i've been speed, treated as a uh, spiritual riffraff spiritual street person uh, on account of the fact that I haven't had some experiences that others have claimed they've had. You know, somebody had their mole healed on their ear. Well, I haven't had that experience, so, you know, I'm sort of down the rank. So I just explained to these people that I'm no warrior with extra-Christian marketing attached to my name. I'm just simply a child of God through faith, one in Christ, and an heir according to the promises You might have picked up that those things don't actually bother me i don't care less what they think they can pick any measure it doesn't matter the key is that we're in christ that's the key to being legitimate children of god and brothers and sisters with each other if we're in christ we don't need to feel the temptation of inferiority as a christian Our status is significant. Children of God, one in Christ, and heirs according to God's promise. Well, we're at point three in the sermon now, friends, so we're on the home stretch. Don't go back into slavery. Let's pick it up from verse eight. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, God or rather are known by God how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces or principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul's been writing to people who are from a Gentile background with a pagan history and In verse 8 he refers to their pre-Christian days as a kind of slavery. People often did and many still do live in fear of spiritual forces and so they've sought to placate them in the past and they still do today by trying to appease these spiritual forces with various offerings, both plant and animal offerings and sometimes religious practices such as burning incense and the goal is to appease the spiritual forces so they don't face trouble and horror from these spiritual forces and instead to be blessed in some shape or form. But Paul is equating, it's interesting here, he's equating actually going back under the old covenant, these Gentile Christians, as to going back under the old covenant. he's saying that's actually like, as you try to observe those special days, months, seasons and years, you uh, That's actually like going back under the slavery that you had in your pre-Christian days when you lived in fear. And this kind of decision of some of these people to go back to that world, it bothers Paul. It gets to him. It frustrates him because they've found Christ and they may be lost if they go down that path. In verse 11 he says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. So to go back to that... Down that pathway uh, is a mistake. And we could almost use the imagery of a lifeguard at this point, uh, this, this is intriguing. Can you imagine the lifesaver who's just uh, gone out and saved someone, helped them in from a rip to get them safely back on shore. And then walking back to the clubhouse to tell her friends about the good results and then looking out and seeing that the person's just started to go wandering back down the beach and back into the rip again. What would she say to the people at the clubhouse? it's, It's almost too ridiculous for words. I've just taken the person out of that trouble. You know, they're going straight back into it. And so words would fail her. And that seems to be Paul's frustration here too. He's just helped these people move out of slavery and horror to become the children of God, And now they're tempted to go back into that. And Paul encourages us not to move away from our faith in Christ also. That is the way of salvation, to live with our faith alone in Jesus. He's the way of salvation. We don't need anything extra to be the legitimate people of God. Now, as a young man, I was uh, tempted and I buckled under the trivial pressure to uh, be part of the cool group in my choice of clothes. I wasn't that cool anyway. But Paul's raising for something far more serious today, something far more critical. This is not trivial stuff. He's raising the importance of our identity as being the people who belong to Christ. That's who we are. And his message is that if we are in Christ then we are God's children and we're legitimate brothers and sisters with each other. We belong to each other as well. And because we belong to Christ, uh, we can stand against whatever temptation there is for us to think of ourselves as inferior as well. So if anyone insinuates that kind of thing, relax. We've got it in black and white that we are the people of God if we're one in Christ. Let's give thanks to God for his goodness to us. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for this word today, uh, which reminds us that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Lord, we give you thanks that it shows our sin and need for a saviour, a perfect sacrifice, one who takes away the sin of the whole world. And Lord, we give you thanks that now that Jesus has come, he has established the new covenant in his blood. And we give you thanks that as we um, have our trust in him, we enjoy your gift of salvation and that we become your children, brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of your kingdom to come. Lord, we give you thanks for the assurance and for for the comfort of that message that uh, we stand as your people uh, through Christ alone. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to be shifted from that, but to be very confident about the complete work of Jesus on our behalf. And we pray that you'd help us to think also carefully about what it means not only to serve you as our God as we live, but we also pray that you'd help us to be mindful of what it means for us to continue to get to know each other and uh, remember that we belong to each other. And we pray that you'd help us to be mindful of how we could carry each other's burdens and build each other up as your family. Lord, we give you thanks for this, Day and this time that we share together now as your people, and we pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.